Welcome to Unity of Tucson. I spend a lot of time every single Sunday saying the word love because that's really what it's all about. What's it all about, Alfie? It's all about love. That's it. That's it. And we, we contextualize this idea of love in so many different ways. And we use love as a synonym for God, the infinite creative power. We use love in so many different ways. But what I want you, and what I'm inviting you into today is an exploration an exploration of what love truly is for you. It's a loaded word, love, because it is utilized in so many different ways, and I think in ways that I won't say are misunderstood, because the word itself is defined however we choose to define it. I define love and have carried this definition of love in my heart for a very long time. Love is spirit giving of itself for the purposes of creation. And that we are all participants in the infinite creative power that is love. That's what I hold firm in my heart. So let me ask you this question. What do you believe in? This is a rhetorical question. What do you believe in? And, and I don't think there's likely to be one cohesive answer to that question. Certainly, if I did ask you each, if I went through and, each, and said, what do you believe in, Waverly? What do you believe in, Vicky? What do you believe in, Mirta? I'm, I would guess that if they stated it out loud, what we would find is that there are as many beliefs as there are unique individualizations that exist. And we all carry more than, I'm not saying we only carry one belief, but if there was like a core belief that guided you in your life, what might that be? I'm going to tell you a couple of things that I believe in. Love, obviously, that's one. These are things that I'm passionate about in my belief system. One of them is this, creativity for me, is key to a quality life. Creativity is key to a quality life. That's one idea and one belief that I hold firm in my heart. And so I'm always looking for ways to enhance the quality of my life in more creative ways all the time. <laughs> I'm kind of passionate about that. I get so excited about that. Another thing that I am passionate about is spiritual community, which is what has brought me to this experience in this moment at this point in my life. Spiritual community. What does spiritual community mean? For me, spiritual community is acknowledging a collective experience where there may be a shared agreement that spirit, God, love, universal presence, whatever you call it, is the connective tissue from which 
each and every one of us is expressing. And there is no separation from that connective tissue. We are the connective tissue ourselves. And all of it, it's one cohesive wholeness. I love it when Sherry's back there. Yeah. <laughs> but spiritual community to me, to me also means this, collective ownership. Collective ownership. And that's important to me in a context such as this because it is never my intention to prop myself up as the authority. That we are in this thing called spirit, the spiritual center. We're in this thing called a spiritual community together. And we are each and every one of us an integral, important part of what makes this community unfold in the magnificent way that it unfolds. Now, I get to stand up here because I went to school and I got credentials. <laughs> And I worked really hard. <laughs> Spiritual community also means this for me. It means that we're not here just to fit in, but that we are, each and every one of us, actively working to create a sense of belonging for all of us. And I think that extends beyond just these walls. I mean, I think it's real easy to come in here and get a sense of belonging because, oh, look, these are my people. I feel like I belong. And it's so exciting to feel like we belong. But to what degree are you able to walk out these doors, out into the world? You know, note, note that I will probably never say the real world. Because many people use that as like, oh, the real world, right? Like it's some negative connotation in that. No, this is the real world. And that is the real world. And it's all what you make of it. It's all what you make of it. It's all how you approach and have a relationship to the experiences in your life. So are you able to move from this place, go out into the world, and by your very presence, create a sense of belonging? I, Wendy's like, yes. I see that, yes. The rest of you? <laughs> Another thing that I'm very passionate about is spiritual education. I'm super passionate about spiritual education. One of my favorite things to do, although many people say, don't you just love Sunday? Isn't that your favorite thing to do? Yes, Sunday is great. One of my favorite things to do is teach class to get into it, to really come together and really hammer out the discussion around these principles that we teach. And the importance of that is that that, for me, is where uh, the rubber hits the road. That's where you really learn to put the practice of spirituality engaged into your life. It's lovely to feel good here on a Sunday, but boy, I'll tell you, class is where it's at if you want to really dig in. What do we do in, spiritually educated, in spiritual education? What do we do in spiritual education? Well, we're encouraging the development of spiritually-based life skills. That's the point of view. We're here to encourage spiritually-based life skills. And then not just understand them, but learn to actively apply those skills to enhance the quality of our lives. And so when we announce things like classes coming up, I get so excited. I get so excited. How about you? Yeah. 
<laughs> it's okay. People are like, I am done with school. I did that plenty. It's a different kind of school. It's a different kind of school. So what's it all about? What's it all about? So there are people, there are people, including you, who have perhaps come to a spiritual center, come to a New Thought spiritual community, or any spiritual community. It doesn't have to just be New Thought. Typically what people are seeking is they're seeking understanding. And oftentimes the perception is that that understanding is rooted in a construct or a concept that is called God. So a lot of times people come to New Thought spiritual centers and they're like, I'm seeking God. I'm seeking God. And if we are open to it, if we are open to it, and this is one of the things that we teach in spiritual education, if we are open to it, what we find is not a church, it's not a building, what we find is our authentic self. Because if you want to find God, that's where it is. God is the expression of your authentic self. And I think that this drive, I believe, that this drive is in each and every one of us, and this need, this desire to be on that exploration will never go away. Because the thing about God the thing about love, the thing about spirit, the thing about universal presence, whatever you choose to call it, is that it is infinite, and so there is always more to uncover. There is no destination. There is only the journey. And the more you engage in the journey, actually, I won't tell you what's true for you, I will only acknowledge that the more I have engaged in this journey, the more I have experienced this, the more I've taken ownership of this in my life, the better my life has become. That's what, we, that's what I mean when I'm talking about you know, spiritual community being collective experience and collective ownership, that we can come together with these ideas and really put them into practice in our lives and be supported by a community. So what's it all about? There is a belief out there that I do not hold, but it is very prevalent that this paradigm is over. As people flee the Sunday morning experience. And I don't, I mean, look around. It's not true here. It's not. But there's this belief that it's a dying paradigm. Here's the thing, as long as people seek spiritual community, there will always be a place for this type of experience. And this type of experience may shift, it may transform, it may become something else. I don't know. It is what it is right now, and I'm having a good time doing it. <laughs> but there are some ideas that are kind of pervasive out there that I think I'm ready to rethink. Because one of the things that often happens is people say, well, look around. Where are the young people? I'm like, um, look in the mirror. We're all young. <laughs> and there is no age in the infinite. Think about that. There is no age in the infinite. I was at a recent, I was at an event recently, 
And there was a speaker at this event, and uh, she goes by the moniker the Gen Z speaker, which is funny. She's not in Gen Z. <laughs> she's actually a Gen Xer like I am. But she has made a career in her life of studying that particular generation. And she made a point in this, uh, in this gathering when she was presenting. She said that a common misconception about Gen Z is that Gen Z seems to be apathetic, disconnected. And she said her research has actually uncovered exactly the opposite, that Gen Z considers community more important than any previous generation that has existed. So I think it's, not, I think it's important that we not just assume that the young, the young people are not interested in community. They are interested in community. What does community look like? That's the thing. Because they may not be interested in this form, and that's okay. So how do we engage? How do you engage? How do I engage? I don't know, but I do know. <laughs> I lead life from that point of view of what it's all about, from the point of view of love. I allow myself to be heart-led, and I think that resonates. So yeah, the point is that community connection expresses differently, and it has evolved. The question is, have we evolved? Have we evolved in that paradigm? And are we willing to go on the journey of evolution? This sparked a question for me, this, this, this event that I went to where uh, Corey C. Miller is the woman's name. She's the researcher. It sparked an idea and a question for me, and this was the question. How comfortable am I living in uncertainty and paradox? And maybe it's a question that you are willing to entertain yourself. How comfortable are we living in uncertainty and paradox? Well, here's the thing about uncertainty and paradox. We're going to have to get used to it because there is nothing other than uncertainty when we consider the future, because we don't know what's going to happen even five seconds from now. And it's a balance that we have to strike. It's a balance that we have to strike, I think. We're always on the precipice of something new, always. And we are the ones who are getting to determine how that newness is written in every moment. How are we actively engaged in creating the newness in our life from moment to moment to moment? Or are we going to continue to be relegated by the things from our past that we pull into our present and we say, this is the way it is. It's not the way it is. It's not the way it is. We get to determine and we get to set our sights and our vision. We get to be vision casters in terms of how our lives unfold. One of my colleagues, Dr. Jim Lockhart, wrote this recently. He said, we are in a liminal space, a place between two stages of being. That's what liminal means, a place between two stages of being. We know what the stage we were leaving was like, but the next stage must be co-created by all of us. 
We are in a liminal space, a place between two stages of being. We know what the stage we were leaving was like. It's easy to know what the past was like, right? Is there anyone who doesn't know what the past was like for them? Do you know what the future is for you? No. But we can create, and we can collectively co-create what is next. We are on a teeter-totter, trying to find the balance between what was and what will be all the time. There we are, the fulcrum. What was and what will be. And we don't like to live in uncertainty, so if we're really focused on what will be, oh, that's uncertain, isn't it? It's challenging. I don't know if I want to be in that state of mind. I'm going to hold on to what is known. And so you keep getting what you've always gotten. What was known, what is unknown, the constant, the constant up and down teeter-totter experience. Here's another thing that seems to be unfolding in the expression of, of this thing called life, and that is, I always think of the, of the teeter-totter also as we're the fulcrum of what we make prevalent in our own minds, either the destructive aspects of thinking or the constructive aspects of being, and which side would you rather be on? Because I think most of us would say, we want to be on the constructive. We want that to be the weight. We want that to be how we move forward. And yet we still root ourselves in destructive habits of thinking. It's a constant teeter-totter. An awareness of what we're thinking, awareness of what we're believing, awareness of what feelings are wrapped up in our thoughts and our beliefs. Those are the things that are going to determine how we weigh out on that teeter-totter. So if you are willing to engage in the practice you can find a path towards the constructive at all times in your life. That's how we enhance the quality of our lives. Anyone ever hear themselves say this? If only I had learned this when I was a kid. <laughs> this is a thing that goes around new thought circles all the time. Oh, if only I had known this when I was growing up. Here's the thing. Regret's going to get you nowhere, so stop it. You remember that sketch on Mad TV with Bob Newhart? <laughs> he plays, oh, a, 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 a psychotherapist, go figure. Um, and, and, and then I think there might be people here who don't know who Bob Newhart is. So he plays the psychotherapist and he has a patient walk into his office. This is the sketch. And, and she says, uh, I'm terrified of, uh, you know, I, oh, actually, I'm sorry, I'm setting it up wrong. He says, I will charge you for the first five minutes, and after that, I don't charge you anything more. And she says, well, that's amazing. He says, yes, because I can cure you in that amount of time. And she goes, okay. And he says, okay, so tell me what's happening. And she says, I am afraid of being buried alive in a box. And he says, okay, I want, I'm going I'm to say something. I want you to hear it, and, 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 and I want you to really, really uh, embody these words that I'm saying. You ready? Stop it! <laughs> the sketch continues. I'm not going to continue the sketch, but every time I say stop it, that's what comes to mind. Okay. So 
if only I learned this when I was a kid, regret will get you nowhere, stop it. That was the point. And so, right, we seem to fear, here's the thing, we seem to fear sharing what it is we learn in spaces like this. We seem to fear actually living our lives out loud. And I'm going to encourage each and every one of us to more thoroughly live our lives out loud from the point of view of the constructive concepts in mind that you have embodied in your life by acknowledging and participating in this philosophy. We want to maintain healthy boundaries, right? Oh, I can't possibly let anyone know how well my life is going because I have adopted a spiritual philosophy that works for me because they might perceive it as proselytizing, 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 I don't know what that, proselytizing. And so there's another teeter-totter, right? I want to, I don't, I can't possibly let myself seem too high and mighty in knowing what I know from a spiritual perspective. And so I'm going to diminish myself. Stop it. How we encourage a greater adoption of the constructs and concepts that enhance the quality of life is to live the philosophy. We don't need to be out there telling people how to be. We need to go out there and just be that for ourselves. That's the thing. That's how we can enhance the experience collectively of this entire world, this entire planet, by being the light, by being the life, by being the love. Not telling people, you, be the love. Demonstrate in your own life these principles. We, we sometimes joke, you know, to say that it's the when Harry met Sally moment, that if we demonstrate these principles in our lives, that the people around us will go, I'll have what he's having, or I'll have what she's having. Um, but in truth, that's how unity got started. That's how unity got started. That's how new thought began to take hold. Myrtle Fillmore started speaking with groups of people interested in her path to healing because they saw her demonstrate healing in her life. These groups expanded. It grew into correspondence. People wrote her letters. She wrote them back. And a movement grew and unfolded from that. And because of a willingness to share without shame and without apology on her part, look what we've grown into. Do you have the same capacity to share your life so magnificently, the magnificence that you are, that you inspire people around you. That's the call today, to do the work, which can be playful. I know people are going to go, why are you saying it's work? It is work, but work can be fun. I have fun at work every single day that I come into this building. I work here, and I have a great time. Do the work, live the results. That's the whole point of view. That's what it's all about. Live life remembering who you are. Not because there are rules or regulations or even rituals that we do here, but because you have explored the depth of yourself so deeply that what you have found is the one thing that is growing and transmuting itself into expression throughout all eternity. And that thing 
is love. Peace and blessings. You are magnificent. So the homework today, and if you are new to our community, uh, as I say every week, I give homework every week because one of my desires is that we have practical application of the tools that we teach here. And so my encouragement to you as homework this week is to do this. Connect with someone, perhaps someone in a generation different from yours. I'm not going to say whether that is a younger generation or an older generation. Connect with someone and ask them what they believe. Ask them what they believe. Now here's the thing that I'm going to encourage. Avoid the impulse to relate their belief system to your own. Simply listen. Simply listen. Listen free of prejudice and in a way that might even challenge your own bias and see how that unfolds this week. That's the homework. Hi, this is Reverend Jonathan Zenz, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast of my Sunday message. Your financial support will ensure that we can continue to offer this as an option for inspiration. You can make your tax-deductible contribution in any amount on our website, unitytucson.com. Once again, thank you for listening. You are magnificent. Namaste.